0: Welcome everyone to the fiftieth uh, podcast for the SAP HCM Insights podcast team. So, fifty podcasts ago, We started this in September of 2011. So, um, and the lineup has pretty much stayed the same the whole time. So, congratulations, guys, and thanks for uh, hanging out with me on this journey. That, hey, thanks for not kicking us off. <laughs> By well, all means. <laughs> well, the the thought did cross my mind a couple of times, but um, <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's been fun. You know, September of 2011, if you think about it, was ages ago in, in software years. It's almost five years ago. Uh, so we've been cranking out about 10 of these a year. Um, and, you know, what I want to talk about is uh, I kind of want to recap that first podcast that we did. Um, but before I do that, let me tell everyone uh, who's listening who we have here in the podcast. We have Luke Marston and Brandon Toomes and Martin Gillette and Sven Ringling. Hi, guys.
1: Steve.
0: Hey, Hi. Hello. Yeah, so the future of SAP HCM was the title of our first podcast back in September of 2011. And we've had a couple other podcasts with that same title over the years. Um, I went back and listened to this one and uh, just wanted to sort of bring up um, some of the topics that we had and, you know, talk about them with the team and, and get your perspective and, you know, talk about uh, why didn't they happen or why did they happen, and, and what we see the trend is at this point. So um, on that first podcast, what it was me and Jarrett Pazahonic and Mark Ingram. And unfortunately, both Jarrett and Mark aren't able to be on this podcast, but we had uh, basically one, two, three, four different topics we talked about high level and um, on the future of SAP HCM. And the first one was um, just sort of something that, uh, had a short life. It, it was called the on-demand products from SAP, and I think it was Career on Demand, which was the first one that was. It was released, I think. And and guys, I don't know. Did did it actually go productive? Was anyone using that? Do you know anyone?
2: I don't believe that it did. I think that they ended up um, not using it and reusing many of the elements that they had built in it uh, for other. Um, other cloud applications.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. But I remember that was SAP's, uh, that was their first real sort of um, uh, entrance into cloud software. And I think we were all pretty excited about it back then. And we saw that as SAP's direction. And it turned out that uh, shortly after that, they switched direction. So when when did SAP announce the SuccessFactors acquisition? Was It was December of, was it 2012, 2011?
3: I think it was January of 20, uh, 2012. Okay. Uh, if I'm, it, 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 was,
0: it, it was
2: announced, I believe, in either November or December 2011, and okay. was completed in mid-February 2012. And yeah. if I recall, we did a live podcast at um, SAP Insider HR 2012 with David yeah. Ludlow after his uh, keynotes where he laid out some of that initial strategy.
0: Yeah, we did. I remember that. Um, So things have changed a little bit since then. Um, The other – yeah, so on-demand, I mean, it was a great idea, but SAP, you know, they switched
3: directions pretty quick on that. Well, and kind of on that point, Steve, uh, the big strategic shift that they made right then – and has kind of uh, borne out since then is back then, if you'll remember uh, SAP's mantra is we're going to do this all in house. We've got the, we've got the expertise Mm -hmm. and we, we will do this all on our own. And that's where on demand came from. And from, from, from talking with people in the industry, they actually did come up with some great ideas. It's just they were so far behind. They decided that at that point, you know what? We we really do need to bring in people and and do some acquisitions. And if you look at it since then, they've completely changed. You don't hear that that uh, um, well. We have to do all of this organically anymore. They have really been a lot more aggressive mm-hmm. in the acquisition uh, space since then, and I think that yeah. it's been successful uh, that that pivot that they made, um, getting all of these different products, uh, based on what those things could bring to the table. And if you'll remember the cloud DNA, that was their big, uh, that, that was the big uh, buzzword at the time. And and I do think that 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 bore out as, as an effective strategy. Yeah. So you
0: think cloud DNA was, uh, an effective strategy, Brandon, you think that that, um, if you look at SAP
3: success factors now, it's a, it's a cloud company. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think by any measure, the that acquisition has been very successful. I mean, if you'll remember back then, um, you know, people were like, well, they paid too much, and uh, are we sure this is going to work? And because of what we're seeing in the uh, user community and SAP that and and the client base and how they're they're readily adopting to this and saying okay I, I think I see where this is going then you have to say that it was successful now of course uh, th- behind the scenes there's been a lot of the SAP engineers uh, getting involved and doing a lot of the nuts and bolts work and kind of getting the platform for success factors up to where it needs to be so so I don't want to discount that side mm-hmm. of it at all, but I do think that they did get a, a chance to accelerate and really and, and get a platform that they could work off of. Yeah, I think they bought the platform, right? And then they applied
0: their uh, all their experience to it because, you know, SAP spent tons of money creating um, the HR modules on, on R3, and then they globalized it, rolled it out to, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 countries. I lost track. But... Um, that was really, you know, they had a real deep experience to bring to success factors. So I think, yeah, I think it worked out well. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, some cl- some customers, you know, I think are still resisting that a little bit, but um, it'll come around. So the other thing that we talked about a lot as playing a big role in the future was the SAP by Design product. Um, and honestly, guys, I have not. That has not crossed my path much at all. Um, what about you guys? Have you um, has by design crossed your path from a consulting or customer perspective? How, how has that turned out?
2: It's been something that's not heavy in the radar. I think because because of the target market, you know many of us deal with you know large enterprise customers. We do deal with some of the small medium enterprises, but um, yeah. by design has had some focus on SAP more recently. If we look back maybe two to three years ago, I, I don't think it was doing as well as it should be. But there has been some efforts internally and it does seem to be getting some good traction and have a good solid install base now. And there is some native integration with success factors um, if, if customers want to use that for, for HR. So, it, 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 it was off to a rocky start, but there has been a good uptake in the last, um, I would say, maybe 18 to 24 months for By Design.
4: We've, we've all, also come across quite a few of them through Concur, actually. So, talking through quite a few SMEs who were interested in using Concur and then ask about whether there's an interface to the ERP uh, By Design product, which there is not yet. A standard one, but I understand it's on the roadmap. So at the moment, you use the usual file-based interface, but there's more to come. So that's how I really got aware. Oh well, this actually did uh, did get some traction because I had the same impression that it's kind of somewhere in the uh, in the closet and nobody is really using it. But there seem to be quite a few out there uh, using it now.
0: Well, that's good. It's it's good to know. the uh, the other uh, the fourth uh, subject we talked about just in general was SaaS, Software as a Service, and how that was it was inevitably going to bring change into the SAP HCM market, um, just because uh, you know we 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 talked about Workday and how it was growing back then and still grows, and how you know there are a lot of point solutions for HR that are built on the SaaS platform and how um, that would have to be a factor in SAP's future and. Um, Unbeknownst to us at that time, SAP was probably negotiating with uh, SuccessFactors at the time we recorded that. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, the SaaS model in general, guys, I think that's probably the biggest force of change um, since September 2011 that we've had in our market, just in general, not just through SuccessFactors, but through the whole HR industry.
2: A success SuccessFactors has been a, a resounding success for SAP's mm-hmm. cloud strategy particularly now that they're growing out core HR and it's the fastest growing core HR system in the market. It was a, it was a very smart move by SAP to make that acquisition. Mm -hmm. I don't think they would have got anywhere near the traction they, they would have wanted had they pushed forward with career on demand. I mean, generally it's, 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 it's helped them to get a good foothold in that market. It, 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 it brought in the, the cloud expertise they needed to be able to understand what, how that business model works, how they're going to uh, operate, you know, in, in, in the new paradigm. Yeah. And they, and with a series of other acquisitions, I think they've really understood that and transformed the way that they, the the way they've done business and transformed the way that they create and manage software Mm -hmm. Uh, and even down to behavioral things like, you know, working a lot more closely with customers, listening a lot more to what customers want, creating channels in which customers can get feedback to the right people in SAP to be able to further innovate on their products in a way that that customers need those innovations, not necessarily maybe where SAP thought customers would need those innovations.
0: Mm, Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, in similar space, they acquired Fieldglass and Concur after that too, right? Two more cloud companies that touch on the, uh, you know, the HR landscape. So um, yeah, they have been growing by acquisition, but also, like you said, Luke, they've been building out Employee Central um, just tremendously. I think it's been a, it's been a, a huge effort for them.
3: Yeah. And if you think about where they were back uh, in 2011, 2012, uh, that was right in the middle of the big delay that we were having on uh, enhancement packs. I think that was enhancement pack six that was coming out. It it was taking forever for, for them to get that out the door. It was like 18 months. And then I think it ended up being like two years for them to fully get out uh, the next version of their software, which is unheard of today. Uh, SAP, uh, the the HCM group, um, you know, if you, if you kind of look at them at, uh, under one umbrella, they are a lot more nimble, a lot more responsive. As Luke said, they're, they are a lot more closely aligned with the customer than they were back then. So they've really uh, really kind of transformed not only the software, but also their organization to to adapt to that software. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, the, uh, the
0: impact on the consulting community has been tremendous, too. Um, you know, we've had yeah. yeah a number of uh, conversations here about uh, certifications and how the you know the nature of implementations and how they change. Um, you know, I know just uh, I think on the last podcast, Mark was telling us that you know he's working multiple projects remotely for the most part and probably you know eighty ninety percent remote. Um, and Luke, I know a lot of the work you're doing is you know with employee central is is more hands on, a lot more face time with customers, so it's not to that point. so um but i th- i think it's it's changed um a lot of what we do in consulting for the better um you know it's success factors has their certification process for consultants and you know it's not perfect but it's a lot better than what we had before which you know martin i know you worked uh, on the certification 5 for years with the sap hcm on premise software suite to try to have certifications mean something and um, you know, from what I recall, there wasn't a whole lot of success with that. There was some, but, um, there wasn't really much uptake in, in the industry for that. Brandon, I think, you know, compared back to the certification back in the SAP days, um, this, you know, it doesn't compare to what
3: is required now, does it? No, and I do think that they have the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is they are going uh, about the path of shutting down people from being able to have access to customer systems if they haven't had that that certification which is which is a good thing they they still need to fill in some of the gaps and I think they're getting there uh, the key gap that the, that they had up until now is that you know there was a lack of uh, current uh, the 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 uh, tests themselves weren't weren't current enough, and I think that they're really uh, committing to to making sure that those delta exams, which is uh, showing what's changed from release to release, are those are starting to to become uh, a lot you know a, a lot more current than they were. I mean. It, before this, it was going to be sixteen months old, uh, the some of the subject matter that you were taking these exams on. and now now that you're talking about three to six months mm-hmm. uh, of delay between a release and when those questions appear, which is you know somewhat reasonable. I mean, you're you're going to have some time that's going to be required in order to build out the test questions and kind of evaluate the software. so it's 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 reasonable that they can have just a little bit of delay, but not sixteen mm-hmm. months. so So has this had a positive impact for customers? I'll just
0: put that out to everyone um, you know we've we've made consultancies go through additional hoops now to be certified and to keep it up to date like you said Brandon um but to me the the real payoff there is has it been good for the customers? I think it's
2: been positive for customers you know it's got I, I think certification has more value this time around mm-hmm. than it did before, especially because it's tied to access. And there's going to be further ties to access. And I like the, you know, I'm a big advocate of the professional level certification for success factors because it means something. Uh-huh. You can't get professional certification unless you've got the experience, which has been vetted by SAP with customers. Uh-huh. The bottom line is there's no better way to prove someone has has the expertise than 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 then the customer is telling SAP that this person has done this project and they have uh, achieved these certain uh, aspects. they have
1: uh-huh.
2: they basically delivered quality, and that is important benchmark for customers when they're looking at consultants. Uh-huh. Now, there's still not as many as, as the market needs, but you know that's the growing pain of, of, um, of where we are mm-hmm. right now. But certainly certainly certification has value now. And there's still some way to go in getting the message out to customers. It's always difficult to reach those customers that don't maybe frequent the SAP community network or frequent LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So SAP still has to work on getting their sales reps Understanding the value of certification and professional certification, and I know for a fact that this is being done at the moment for um, Employee Central. SAP are trying to understand who's actually got the, the 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 certifications, both the associate and professional level, so they can better advise customers on which firms they need to be looking at working with.
0: Interesting. Well, it's um, I think it's a good process. You know, like I said, it's it's far from perfect, but um, you know, it's it's good for customers. It's, it's good for consultants, too, actually. It's, um, you know, having some accountability there is not a bad thing at all. Another one of the things we talked about on that first podcast, we said, you know, with uh, the trajectory of cloud software, um, it's inevitable that we're going to have more hybrid landscapes. And I think that's something that came out to be true. Um, you know, when uh, SAP bought SuccessFactors, the first thing that most people did is they put their talent processes up on success factors, and they kept their core HR in SAP. And now you're seeing people move their core HR into Employee Central. Um, a good number of customers are keeping their payroll, time, and benefits back on R3. So it's still a cloud environment. So it seems like it might be a cloud environment for for quite a quite a while. But this gets into the uh, Oh gets into a whole big thing too that we've talked about before with uh, employee central payroll um moving more of the time and benefit functions to outsourcers um and i'm I'm curious to get the the group's take on that um What about hybrid landscapes do you see th- see those as sort of a a permanent fixture or or is this really just part of the transition so um I'll just put that out there. Maybe Sven, we haven't heard from you for a bit. What's your opinion on there? Do you think these hybrid landscapes are going to be more of a permanent fixture or something just as a transition?
4: Well, for the time being, I think we we will see them for a long time only because a lot of customers would wait uh, until almost the last minute to get their core hr and payroll into the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and by then, so much has changed again. That I, I guess some people might have the vision of having, again, everything in the same, well, not box, but in the same cloud. Um, but my, my prediction would be that by then there are, again, other things popping up, be it from SAP or, or the ecosystem or completely third party that customers would want to, to connect to, um, maybe completely breed of, of platform, a new breed of platform. So I would think because of the, of the speed of innovation we have, this is just not lending itself to a very homogeneous uh, in, environment. So that's why I think some kind of hybrid, uh, probably with species in there, we, we don't even know yet is mm. going to be what we are seeing in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. I think, um, you know, if we're not having hybrid between technology – Cloud and, and on-premise, we're going to have a hybrid environment with multiple cloud vendors together and I think that's that can be just as challenging to get multiple cloud vendors working together, right so um, you know you can, mm-hmm. you, can out, you can put a lot of stuff in the cloud, but you still have to have interoper, interoperability between those and sometimes that gets packaged up and delivered fairly well and, and other times guys, I think um, it's more of a build your own way
4: probably also a hybrid between public cloud and private cloud solution depending on on what some customers think should should not be right out there
5: yeah yep yeah just for uh, for a second also the the hybrid solution if you make a metaphor with uh, you know the the gas co- uh, the gas car that we're driving today versus electric there has to be some kind of interim you know solution and uh, given the high number of customers that we still see you know reaching out for clouds. The hybrid is probably uh, not a permanent fix, but it's actually a quick win maybe to reach out to the cloud.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: So um, the interim solution is a must, because of course no situation is black or white. So you cannot maybe go directly full for the cloud because you have investments, you have you know some kind of uh, commitment to a vendor. So this solution I trust, we might see maybe more of them, at least from my side in Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. Good points. Um, another thing we talked about in that first podcast was the changing nature of implementations, and just to put it broadly, they're becoming less technical and more process oriented, which I think um, I think is true. I think that's just a, a byproduct of the cloud software. Um, and you know, we talked a little earlier in the podcast about you know um, the nature of consultings changed too. There's more remote consulting. You still have to be on site. And, you know, I think if you're in the talent modules, you can do more remote. If you get more into the core modules, it's more on site. Just uh, thornier issues, maybe, to work through. But, uh, Mark, you were on that first podcast. And uh, for listeners, Mark came in halfway through the podcast that we were recording. So, welcome, Mark. You said that you wished in 10 years that there would be um, a wormhole to magically transport you faster to your customers and back home. So, did that it seems like that wormhole may have come true for you, but just in a different way,
1: yeah, I think the wormhole is called skype or uh, <laughs> <laughs> over telephone so um my my travel has dropped significantly since I stopped doing um on premise implementations i I spent around um nine days at a client site last year uh-huh. and um yeah probably probably about um six days so far this year. Uh, one client, I I'm I'm not you know it's always nice to to be face to face and you can achieve a lot um, and have a deeper connection with your customer when you see them face to face and there's oh. the body language or going out for dinner and and everything. But from a practical point of view, when you have multiple clients at the same time, it's it's difficult to go on site. Oh. Um, so you know I've had I've had clients where I've been on site once. I've been I've had clients where I haven't been on site at all. Um, and you know what you know what else has changed um, quite a bit you know you commented about um, it becoming more business processes this is very true I've seen uh-huh. you know um, a, a much bigger demarcation of technical versus uh, process and, and functional so in the past you know as a, as a you know as a functional resource you might also do things like get into the weeds and debug and write technical specs and things are functional specs in any case uh-huh. um, I've seen really that much more siloed. Where for the past few projects, it's been you know an offshore team doing development of just the integration pieces, and um, the functional being you know very separate. And uh-huh. there seems to be a lot a lot more of a distinction um, um, between the technical and function worlds than, than there used to be. I mean, hmm. Brand, Brandon, you're, you used to you you developer. I used to be a developer. What what have you seen in that?
3: Yeah, that that's true. We we don't spend near as much time uh going in and, and just stepping through th- the technical debugs and things like that uh, i'll to be honest there are times when i wish i st- would i wish i still had that because uh, when you have an issue and you can't go in kind of uh, look underneath the hood and see what's going on inside that black box uh to mix my metaphors there uh it, it is a little bit more challenging because you have to rely on on uh the su- support process from the vendor from success factors uh, as opposed to being able to do it yourself but it does uh, allow you to focus more on the business process and and leave the leave those technical details uh kind of behind so that Mm -hmm. that is definitely true uh one other point i would i would make uh, from the uh, an observation I would have, kind of like Mark, I do multiple projects concurrently. Uh, one other thing that I think we really get from that is we we're having these different conversations with different clients at the same time, and and a lot of times it makes us better consultants because we're seeing uh, the same issue being addressed different ways, different uh, the same business process being addressed different ways, and and we can uh, it makes us a lot e- it makes it a lot easier for us as consultants to to kind of uh, take the that. Best Best of breed approach, or, or you know, best pra- quote unquote best practice approach, where you can say, okay, are you sure that you really need to do that? I'm working with, uh, and, and of course, uh, this is always anonymous, and I never uh, use use client names or anything like that. But you can say, you know, I've got this other client over here, and they they've made peace with uh, dealing with this with this particular challenge with a workaround, as opposed to doing this customization. And so it does give you uh, a, a much broader perspective when you're having some of those meetings with the customer. So that you can go in and and you know maybe challenge a little bit more where you need to. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point. And you know, as consultants, we we really need to be learning from each one of our customers and each one of those implementations. If we don't, you know, then we're not getting better. So it's a it's a good thing to to you know recycle that for other customers too. Brandon, I think I, I totally agree with you. I've I've done that with customers too. You know, you don't use names, but you say. Well, you know, here's a simpler way to do this, or here's a workaround, or uh, a better practice, and uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't, right? You you never you never bat a thousand.
1: Yeah, but w- one thing that client clients never want is you to walk in and say, "All right, so tell me what you want."
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Good points. And. You know, I think the, the last point in that uh, first podcast we talked about, which I think we've touched on a lot, is um, we expected to see more innovation and faster change, and I think we've seen that in spades um, since 2011. I don't know if anything that's gotten slower, guys, do you? Uh, the, change, the change gets faster, the projects get faster. Um, uh, the, the pace of learning gets faster. Um, so it's quite a different atmosphere. But uh so I think, you know, on on the balance, we our first podcast, I think we got a lot right. And you know, except for that wormhole, Mark. Um I think we got a lot of good things.
1: Uh it's just <laughs> it's just a different
0: wormhole. So um the other thing I wanted us to talk about today is uh the recent uh SAP Insider HR conference. It was in Vienna, what, a couple of weeks ago? Um I think Sven, you and and Martin were there. Um do you guys want to give us a bit of an overview maybe of, of what's new and what was notable from the conference?
4: Yeah, I can start and then Martin can maybe fill in the gaps or, or correct me where I think I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess uh, th- there wasn't that much um, really a new, new big pieces compared to uh, what you've seen in the U.S. recently. Um, it's It's probably more mm-hmm. about how the market develops how customers develop in Europe uh, where we have always seen uh, quite different speeds of cloud adoption there were uh, some countries that were quite quick like uh, compared to others like the UK and I think the, the Netherlands and some of the Nordics um, but then uh, one of the big bastions against cloud uh, has always been Germany with their big uh, data privacy concerns um i think that that's still kind of the 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 situation now Uh, the uk is still the second biggest cloud market for sap when germany used to be the second biggest market without considering cloud so that's clearly some uh, catching up to be done but i think we see Mm -hmm. a lot more interest i think on on talent there's no question anymore that the 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 mid-term plan or even short-term plan is to move uh, everything to the cloud whether that's in the uk or poland or germany um but uh, what we see much much more now is really customers taking getting into employee central um i had had one session really specializing in employee central uh, time off and timesheet, and it was quite surprising that it was well attended, when it was not just the whole of Employee Central, but even in their quite special topic. Um, so people are not just coming and say, tell me what Employee Central is, but they say, I know about Employee Central, now I want to be uh, want to learn more about the specifics, about time, about apprentices, about whatever. And that gives you an idea that, that mm-hmm. Mark is much better educated about EC by now. And, and the great thing for me is, a year ago, in many countries, the primary driver to going into cloud was this 2025 uh, perceived deadline. And I, I don't think that's a good, uh, a good business reason and a, a good argument to get adoption if you tell people we have to move because our vendor is forcing us uh, to leave our beloved on-premise world. Mm. And that's it makes for a burning platform, but it's not really good to get people on board and, and, and really get buy-in. And now this really goes away, and they see, okay, there is this kind of deadline, but we really start to see that we do benefit from the speed of innovation and from the new UIs. It's little different argument. <laughs> yes, Sven, that's that's a good point.
1: I, I've never heard the... Um, the end of support coming up as a reason or a consideration. It's always, the it's always here's the direction we want to go to, rather than here's what we're leaving.
0: Mm. Interesting. You know, when I, when I'm talking with core HR time payroll users, that that end of support is on their time frame. That's that's on their mind um, because you know it takes a lot of time uh, generally to replace time and payroll and and benefits and they have it all integrated. So um, yeah, you know, maybe it depends on the audience. I don't know.
4: I'm sure for payroll it is. The the still the, the a big point obviously because e- even if they want to move, um, there's still this this fear that they might not be able to make it by then obviously. And at the end of the day, for the payroll users themselves, it's difficult at the moment to sell in-core payroll the advantage to going into EC payroll because more or less it's going to be same yeah. thing, but they have to get rid of their of their uh, modifications. So that's more, really, is an infrastructure argument, really. If you move everything into the cloud, and one of the cloud benefits is that you don't need to take care of your own infrastructure anymore, but then you still have your box sitting there because of payroll. You, you really have to move payroll to get this advantage. and get. But that also gives you agility at the end of the day. Uh, but maybe agility is also not the argument most payroll managers uh Go after they go for security and for accuracy.
0: Yeah, yeah. The last thing they want to do is screw up payroll. But um, you know what I'm what I'm trying to convince my customers and the, the the market of in general is there's no core advantage to how you do time and payroll. You know, time evaluation and payroll. Um, I mean, I've seen it. You know, I've been consulting for 20 years and working with payroll systems since the late 80s, and I've never once seen a competitive advantage to how we pay someone. I mean, there are competitive advantages in compensation, compensation plans, maybe how you do incentives and bonuses, but the act of delivering um, the act of delivering the time and pay to someone there's no competitive advantage to that. So why do you need to have all these? You know, like you were saying, Sven, some customers have modifications, um, some have use you know, the enhancements a lot. Um, why do you have to have those when SAP provides a perfectly reasonable and powerful system that you can use without having to go there? Um, and a lot of it just comes down to tradition and change management. So I think that's going to be one of the big challenges for um, taking some of these core processes to the cloud. It's going to be um, it's going to be that change management. So, Martin, what's your perspective on that? You've been you've been around almost as long as I have, maybe not
5: uh yeah those call me dinosaur like you i'm always quoting you during conferences that's fun um now yes. there's there's a couple of things so yeah i mean for time and payroll you're right but belgium is maybe one exception because we do have companies who actually do this for for customers for some of them bring an added value no i'm not sure on the long run it will actually make them because they could probably have some better cost uh, saving doing that internally and um, the other thing is also. Um, regarding yes the um, the choice that customer have currently mark mentioned that it may be a first that customer have to move to a to a new system because of the maintenance issue but something a bit scary announced by david lullo on stage is that they don't know what's happening after 2025 so as uh, the customer sitting there in the room i was like wait a minute there should be a master plan you know they're not going to unplug of course they're not but i thought i thought it was maybe a bit uh challenging for SAP to announce that you know they had no plan after 2025 and of course they shouldn't because it's too far away but still as you know, this is a customer conference uh, that might be
4: maybe if I may, may chip in on this when Mark Martin said the audience is primarily on-premise I, I think the audience differentiates very well uh, what to invest in, in on-premise and when to invest in knowledge about the cloud because there was a lot of uh, very attended sessions uh, about on-premise payroll and, and things like day-to-day. How can I get more out of what I already have now? Um, but then uh, sessions when it's about planning for the future, they were really looking at cloud. I've experienced that myself in a bad way because I had this session about a global rollout with uh, on-premise HCM, which I actually didn't want to do, because I thought nobody would be interested, but I've been asked to, and I was wrong, there were three people interested. But that's not quite the audience (laughs) you would expect. So, and even they were mostly interested in in more the final statement saying, that's all, that's how you would do it if you did it, but why are you not considering the side-by-side scenario and give these subsidiaries out there, Employee Central. So I think customers they want to know things like what they can use today in their on-premise world but a lot of them seem to drop on-premise in their forward planning already.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
5: Yes, I also I also had a lot of people regarding the between bracket optimization. How could you actually by the time we reach 2025, how can you get more out of your current system because most customer I've invested a lot of money and time in configuration. So they're looking at options like NetWeaver business client and stuff like that. Although, like you mentioned, I think one of the key takeaways, no question asked, the talent management is for sure normally on cloud um, because on-premise doesn't make much sense if you haven't started yet. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I've been working with my customers on is, you know, what can they do now to stage themselves to make a better transition to, the cloud for uh, core HR time payroll benefits um, when they're ready. You know, there are a number of things that they can do. They can start simplifying and standardizing. They can get rid of their modifications. They can start evaluating options. There's a lot of things that they can do right now, even if they won't uh, be ready or have funding to do it until later. So um, there's really no, I mean, we know enough about uh, the roadmap at this point for customers to prepare. There's really uh, no reason for someone to say, well, this caught me by surprise. So, well, guys, thanks for the uh, um, podcast for rehashing that first one uh, with me. It was uh, fun and interesting, and, and and for going over HR twenty sixteen. It's been a a great almost five years now, and fifty podcasts. So, um, hopefully, we can keep it going for another five years and more than fifty podcasts.
1: So, so just just quickly, any predictions for the next five years?
0: predictions um if the trend line continues i will have less hair and it will be more gray but other than that i'm not predicting <laughs> <laughs> what about you mark
1: it, um i'm wondering if i get to retire before 2025
0: <laughs> anyone else yeah.
1: predictions well we i think i think we know that we know the overall direction and it's just a matter of the the speed per market mm-hmm. you know i think it's it's different with different audiences right
0: yeah for sure yep it's going to be a, a wild ride it's going to be fun too if you like to learn and uh and do new things you know if you're counting on just doing the same old thing uh i think you'll be disappointed Yep. Yeah.
3: all right guys hey oh brandon Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to chime in. I, I, I'm really more talking about the last uh, four and a half years. Uh, thanks so much for for doing this, Steve. You're you're very good at this at this uh, moderation uh, of this podcast, and you've done a great job with that. Uh, and what a what a fortuitous time for you to to start this podcast because yeah. I can't think of a, a, another time that it, uh, a four-year span where there has been more change I mean you you started this right before the cloud revolution really got underway and you guys uh, kind of nailed it on on the direction that it was going uh, but I don't know that any of us would have imagined how quickly things have have moved and uh, how our lives have all kind of substantially changed based on mm-hmm. that so how uh, Hats off to you for starting this. Thanks for including me, and thanks for doing such a an able job of making us sound halfway intelligent. <laughs> well, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> it
0: has uh, it has given us a lot to talk about. That's for sure. And I appreciate um, everyone's part- participation in this. And it's it's been a, it's been good. I think we've learned from each other in the process too. And hopefully, you know, my goal is that our listeners have learned too. So Um, because it's all about the listeners and all about the customers. Otherwise, it's just, uh, you know, farmers talking about the weather. Um, That's my, uh, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and so farmers talking about the weather is just, farmers get together and they talk about the weather, but they can't do anything about it, and it doesn't matter. So um, I don't want us to be farmers talking about the weather. I want us to provide some value to customers and clients and listeners, and so I think we've done that. So thanks a lot. And then